This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time at Core Brain Journal. And, you know, we've been challenged at times by saying, gosh, you're covering some really edgy subjects. And, you know, they look edgy on the surface, but when you get into them and you look at the science and actually see what's going on, they aren't really edgy after all. It's just because the science is there, but they haven't become the standard of practice. And tonight we're going to be speaking with Dr. Rachel Fresco, who is going to uh, amplify on some issues that we really need to know about that will take uh, that do take place and can be actually constructively addressed in everyday practice once we know what's going on. So welcome, Rachel. We really appreciate you coming on board tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Parker. I'm very happy to, to share this information with your listeners because I think that once people understand the connection of the gut to a variety of of conditions, including mental health issues, they're they're going to feel more confident in knowing what they can do for themselves. Good, good. Thanks for coming on board. So I'm going to introduce you, and then we'll go from there. So this is tonight, Dr. Rachel Fresco. She is a PhD, and she is the founder and chief formulator of biobotanical research. In 1989, Dr. Fresco began looking for ways to improve GI health and to address systematic infections, friends. Infections, catch that word. One of the results of this uh, research is Biocidin, a broad-spectrum botanical formulation that really addresses some of the several different medical conditions that affect brain function that we're going to talk about tonight. One of the results of this research is uh, a formula that's recognized by many diagnostic labs by clinicians and authors as one of the most effective products for addressing difficult and resistant clinical presentations. And the reason they're clinical and resistant is because they're biologically based and they are just in the mind. And so the mind is only a representation of the problem. Dr. Fresco presents lectures internationally at medical conferences and shares her research on the topic of, this is a word we're going to all be really interested in, folks, biofilms the link between GI dysbiosis and systemic inflammation, and the use of plant-based medicines in clinical practice. So, woo, that was a lot, but for that, we're just going to get started. So thanks again, Rachel. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, and how you got into this whole interesting dimension of your life. Well, it is an interesting story. Um, I was at the age of 19, living in Carmel, California. I was working in Pebble Beach Equestrian Center as a dressage instructor. I, I thought I was going to be a horse trainer my whole life. And, you know, I was I was always interested in a lot of holistic arts, but I never thought that I would be going into medicine. But I went in for my usual uh, female annual exam. 
And lo and behold, I had a class four pap, which is, you know, one step mm. away from cancer at as age young, 19. Oh, my God. As a young person. And so I went to a different doctor's office, didn't tell them I had gotten that result and had them take the test again. And indeed, it was class four. So they're telling me that basically I have to have a cone biopsy surgery to remove my cervix. And, you know, at 19, you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, this is going to open you up to all kinds of problems. Your, your uterus is going to be exposed. And, and this is really bad. So I was sharing uh, some of my concern with a teacher, friend of mine at the Monterey Institute of Massage. And he was saying, you know, I have a friend, Dr. Waja Kim. She's uh, an acupuncturist. In fact, she was the first person licensed in the state of California uh, to practice acupuncture. And she's in Monterey. And why don't you go see Dr. Kim and see what she thinks? So I didn't know anything about Chinese medicine uh, at all. And I went in there and she took my pulse and she looked at my tongue and she said, you have blood stagnation in your lower burner, whatever that meant. And I'm like, okay, well, can you fix it? And she's like, yes, in six weeks, we can fix this. I'm thinking, really? Six weeks? So she did acupuncture on me and cupping. And she cupped my abdomen and low back. And every time she cupped it, you know, that suction cups, right? And it pulls the, the blood to the surface. The blood came up like blue and black like so stagnant really? in my abdomen and right? she didn't she didn't even she didn't even prescribe herbs she's not an herbalist she just did acupuncture and cupping and so when i went back uh six weeks later i went to planned parenthood because that was like an anonymous thing i could do and get a, a a pap you know and they don't know my history and they don't know anything about what this doctor has said and i go back and i get a, a pap at planned parenthood and it's negative so then I go back to the doctor's office and I ask him to do another pap. He goes, well, we already know your class where I said, I want you to do another pap. Guess what? It was negative. Oh so gosh. then I told the doctor when he told me, well, I, I can't understand how this went negative. I'm like, well, I can tell you how because I went to see an acupuncturist and she did this acupuncture and cupping. And um, he said he wanted me to get the heck out of his office. Uh, yeah. He said yeah. it more impolitely. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that – he he didn't ever want to see me again. And I thought, isn't that terrible that a medical doctor was sad or angry that I couldn't get surgery in his office, that rather than the need surgery, I was able to get well with holistic methods. So that made me so mad the way that that doctor treated me, I decided to become an acupuncturist. I was like, I'm going to become an acupuncturist. I'm going to help other women. And so Indeed, I went to, to acupuncture school in Santa Cruz at the university, Five Branches University, and um, when, I, when I got out of school, or just before I got out of school, I was working at an herbal company local to our area called Khan Herb Company. It's a, they make Chinese medical products, and I was the technical consultant to the doctors who would call in, and so at that time, there were a lot of problems with infection, particularly opportunistic infections, and um, with people in the San Francisco Bay Area. And this was in the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, and so you had people dying of diarrheal diseases. And I had been working through my work in veterinary acupuncture. Of course, you know I'm a horse person. You know I'm a trainer. Of course, the first thing I did was learn veterinary acupuncture in school mm -hmm. so that I could do with horses and dogs and so forth. So I had been working for a vet, and we had been treating some really difficult infections on dogs and horses and cows, things that Western medicine didn't have anything for, like Leishmania. We did a whole um, kennel. Of, yeah. Yes, we did a tell, whole tell kennel. Tell what that is real quickly because that's, uh, that's an oh, it's like a 
it's like an intracellular parasite and yeah. it's incurable and and so these dogs already I think eight of the dogs in the kennel had died it was a hunting pack for fox hunting and um, then we introduced the herbs and the dogs stopped dying and got well in fact it tested negative for leishmaniasis six months later so actually that was written about in a, in a, um, a veterinary medical book um, by the veterinarian I was working with so and anyway, so then as we went on, we found that, you know, there was just a variety of yeast and bacterial and parasitic infections that seemed to be responding to the herbs. Um, and and the, the thing about the herbal medicine did is it didn't seem to have the issue with drug resistance that some of the antibiotics did. So knowing this, I had sent the herbs up to some of the doctors in San Francisco to try. And one of those doctors, unbeknownst to me, sent the formula to Great Smokies Diagnostic Labs, which is now Genova Diagnostics. Mm -hmm. Now, as you know, this is one of the premier labs in the United States for doing, you know, uh, GI dysbiosis testing and so forth. So the owner of that lab called me up and I'll never forget this conversation because it was so bizarre. And He's like, I don't know who you are or what this is, but it kills everything, and we want to put it on our panel. And I thought, who is this rude man? <laughs> um, but I'm like, well, tell me more. And he goes, well, we have this sensitivity panel. It's called a CDSA, and we we put the you know the the, the candidate substances, whether they be drugs or other candidate substances, and we see how the bacteria and yeast respond. He says, and your your formula is the most highly sensitive every single time. And I'm like, well, that's good, isn't it? He goes, yeah. So anyway, that's how they they put the formula on the panel. And over a six year period, I think 200,000 patient tests were run through that lab. Every single test came back that the biocidin was highly sensitive. So all the doctors that were using that lab suddenly found out about it and are calling me up and going, where do we get this? And so I ended up having to basically start a company to deal with the influx of desire for this formula. And I had started out bottling it on my kitchen table. So, you know, it was good that I had been working at Conherb Company because they had manufacturing facilities that they could send me to and, and suppliers and things. And so I was able to ramp up to a professional standard product very quickly. And uh, and that that's, that's where it all began. And so that was a long time ago in the early 90s. So all these years, I've just been uh, working with, with primarily medical doctors, but also acupuncturists, naturopaths, chiropractors. Um, therapists, psychotherapists, um, and other types of, of holistic professionals who use natural medicine in their practice. Um, a lot of chiropractors do some form of internal medicine, not just you know physical medicine as well. Mm-hmm. So, so let me interrupt so, you for a second because you got me going here. Such an okay. interesting story, Rachel. This is really interesting, and how fortuitous that you were at that place where they were actually manufacturing supplements. And you could right. go in and put that package together. Now, I am curious right there because and I sorry to interrupt you, but I think others will probably have the same kind of curiosity that I would. How did you arrive without breaking into any kind of proprietary formula? How did you arrive at the conclusion that this might be a formula that, that would work uh, from how did you how did you mm-hmm. reach that conclusion? 
So the veterinarian I was working with actually had was the first person to know about this herb formula. And the formula they had and that we were using initially was working really well, except that it had some herbs in it that were like sanguinaria causes vomiting. If you take it on an empty stomach, it's also not particularly useful for microbes, although it's very useful for tumors. It's an anti-tumor herb. But um, so there were herbs in that formula that he had been using that didn't really work for what we wanted to do. And then I thought about it. And I thought, you know, why not put in the essential oils like oregano and so forth and beef up the antimicrobial activity? And why not put in some herbs to protect the liver like milk thistle? So we kind of looked at how to balance the formula. And I have other herbalist friends I'm just bouncing things off of. Like, what can we do to hit the most bases as an antimicrobial while supporting the liver and kidneys while bolstering the immune system and cutting down on inflammation because inflammation in the gut is one of the key issues, right? So that's where the bilberry came in as one of the ingredients. So it not only is it antifungal, but it's anti-inflammatory. So basically kind of playing around and then, um, trial and error really at that point. So then we had various formats of this formula mocked up and then we would send it to, uh, there was a woman microbiologist up in the Seattle area that was helping me, and I would send her the formula. I say, I want you to test this on, you know, these bacteria, Pseudomonas E. coli, um, t- test it on a, a fungus and or a yeast like Candida, and and let's see what what balance of, of herbs is going to do the best job. So that's kind of how we fine tuned it. So the formula started out as something that I learned about from somebody else, but about half of it got changed. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, you always start from somewhere. And I'm one of those cooks, too. Like, when I cook, I might start with something that came out of the jar, and I'm going to add, like, 20 things to it, right? Uh So... um, so just doctoring it really until until it was working. And also the thing that we really wanted to make sure was is that for the most part that it, it was harmonious for patients because like, I don't know if you've tried um, using straight oregano oil products, but they're great at killing pathogens, but man, they're hard on the stomach. You're burping up oregano. You've got burning stomach pain. The patients don't want to keep taking it. So you have to put the herbs in a balance. And that's where I think the Chinese herbal medicine point of view comes in handy because in Chinese medicine formulation, you have like a king herb, which is like the main activity of the, of the formula, and then you have the minister herbs that back that up, and then you have the other types of herbs that balance the formula or lend support to the system and, and harmonize it. So that's the, the, the Chinese herbal medicine theory is what I used, but I applied it to the Western herbs that we were using in Biocidin. So that's so interesting. I'm going to tell listeners a little bit about myself here, and this is not in any way a sales pitch is my own kind of self-revelation in terms of how I got, how I became interested in biocide myself in my office. So when I first started, I was, I became interested in Candida, for example, because I was getting tests back from Genova, Great Plains, and they would have Candida in them. And somewhere early on for me, they said, don't worry about Candida. If you get the gut squared away, it's just going to go away. And uh, so I, I can't remember who told me that or what, but it was so for a long period of time, I would say that to patients. Don't worry about it. It's going to go away. But it didn't take long to find out that patients weren't getting better. <laughs> and so then I talked to somebody else and they said, well, look, if you've got a candida, why don't you just use normal, regular medicine? Do something with the candida like nystatin. So then I said, okay, I'm going to use Nystatin because it's, I'm qualified to do it. I learned some more about Nystatin. Didn't want to harm anybody. Learned about Herxheimer's, which we're going to talk about in a minute. 
and got the Nystatin on board. And then we had the same thing happen. It's like, okay, we're doing a good yeast killer. It kills candida, but it doesn't continue to kill candida. Something's going on. The whole thing came back, even though I'm doing everything right. And this patient who's working with me is working very effectively with me. Then we were in 52 pickup. And somewhere in there is where I became involved in a meeting with Great Plains. And they were talking about what happened with what, how they use this other product called Biocidin. And I've just had a lot of luck with it. I mean, it's one of these things. We have a whole, and, you know, we use your protocol on how to use it effectively. You've spent a lot of time on it. And it's one of the reasons I want to make sure I have you on because this is not an attempt to just kind of have a big endorsement. There's no money going down between you and I and this whole thing. This is just to say, hey, this is what I experienced in my office. I think people do need to know about it. It seems like exactly. quackery until you actually step out of the box, do the measurement, and see the measurement go down with the treatment in contradistinction to uh, Nystatin, for example. So thank right. you very much. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, if people think that the herbal medicine is quackery, but remember, 80% of pharmaceutical drugs are derived from, from some type of plant base. Now, let's go to like PubMed, right? That's the clearinghouse for all types of placebo-controlled published studies that are from reputable universities and research centers around the world. If you type in botanical and biofilm into the PubMed research bar, you will get hundreds of studies that show, guess what? This particular essential oil or this herb was effective at, at, at cutting down the biofilms. We should talk about what the biofilms are and why that's important. But even just basic antimicrobial activity, it's well known. Like why an olive tree could be 2,000 years old because the oleoropine in that olive tree is antibacterial and antifungal. So the pathogens can't live on it. But guess what? The good microbes in the soil are not affected by it. And that's what's so interesting about the natural medicine because it doesn't seem to harm the good microbiome. So you do a patient study before and after using biocidin, their microbiota actually improves in the good flora measurement. So instead of like a, a normal antibiotic that would wipe out everything and then maybe cause a backlash of candida or a bacterial infection, like um, C. difficile, which has you know, become very problematic for people who take antibiotics. Um, so it's important that people know that you can do your own research on any ingredient. You can go to PubMed and you can look this stuff up. And then if people tell you that you know, it's quackery, you can say no. You know, there's good, solid scientific data. Well, the thing I want to say here is, of course, we're not taking a position that this is for everybody and everybody should be taking it that has an infection. We're we're saying, and, uh, and I'm speaking somewhat for Rachel. Rachel and I haven't really discussed this, but I'm saying uh, in terms of being reasonable, a reasonable scientifically oriented uh, psychiatrist of all things, that these candida organisms absolutely, without a doubt, directly affect brain function. So why am well, I absolutely. talking about bowel? Because I'm a brain guy. I am definitely a brain guy, and and I am a brain guy who's done everything right by the book for years and still had treatment failure when I was doing everything right. So then I've got to go somewhat out of the box in terms of uh, contemporary traditional medicine and look into these other protocols that do work. Again, they don't work for everybody. There's no false claim going on here. Hey, run around and take biocide, and that's not the point. The point is 
if a person has a condition uh, that might have a uh, refractory response to ordinary interventions like nystatin or whatever, then why don't we try something else? Now, let's jump on this right. term biofilm because we have we have a number of people. We got an educated audience. I'm going to tell you that, Rachel, but the, the, there are still some terms that the average person is not familiar with. And since we're in 83 countries now, you know, we want to be careful to get the, get the language squared away. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about biofilm, if you would. Okay, so you know how if you ever tried to wash out your dog's bowl and there's this, this slimy feeling in the bowl, you can't get rid of it? Okay, that's a biofilm. Biofilms are basically where you have communities of bacteria and or yeast, um, even lime creates a biofilm, and that once they get enough numbers together called a quorum, through quorum sensing, they change their gene expression and they start to develop this sort of slime um, called uh, EPS or extra polymeric substance. So this is a, sort of a slime that covers the bacteria and protects them from detection of the immune system, protects them from being attacked by uh, antibiotic drugs. And so when these uh, infections become chronic, let's say chronic sinusitis or a woman with recurrent UTI or recurrent vaginal infection or urinary, chronic... UTI, urinary tract infection, folks. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry. 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 That's okay. and, so, and the vaginal so, infection... And, now, let me ask yeah. you, stop right there because we're talking about... I want to jump on this because some people say, well, why wouldn't they just use Diflucan? Because Diflucan... Well, you can would be the the treatment for vaginal candidiasis. That would it be, might work, okay, so but it might talk, not. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about that, please, if you will. Okay, so these biofilm encapsulated bacteria and yeast are slow-growing variants. So that means that they sort of simmer at a low level that doesn't cause you to have any kind of overt symptoms. So you could be a woman with a case of where you've had chronic urinary tract infections. And you can't feel the infection all the time, but at a low level, if there's a biofilm encapsulating it, these slow-growing uh, bacteria, it's there. And then when the conditions are right, they flare up again, and then you get symptoms again. So if you take a regular antibiotic or a regular fungal, antifungal drug, they will kill any of the uh, pathogens that are outside of the biofilm swimming around they will knock the numbers back, but you might still have some left in that biofilm that can come back later. And that's why, well, the children getting these ear infections, right? They give them course after course after course of antibiotics. But really, when, when you look postoperatively at what happens in these chronic ear infections, you're finding a fungus and a bacteria together in a biofilm. So unless you break the biofilm, you can't actually clean up really, really effectively that infection. You can knock it back for a while, but it comes back. So, and then there's the issue of certain types of infections. The drugs that you have to use have bad side effects. They could be hepatotoxic, damaging the liver. They could cause you to wipe out all your good gut flora and get another bad bacteria or yeast. So there, there are, there's a downside to the drug therapies. And that's why I think using um, natural medicine as a first line and see if you can clean it up without causing yourself undue toxicity and, and then go to the heavier guns if that's not working. But here's the catch. You cannot go to the vitamin shop and buy a $5 bottle of olive leaf, for example, and expect that it's going to treat your infection. These kinds of formulas have to be professional level formulas with the right 
um, strength of active ingredients. And those types of products are typically more expensive. They're typically sold by professional brands. And that's why we always recommend that you work with a holistic health professional of some kind, whether it's an integrative physician or a naturopath or whoever who's familiar with using these kinds of things or who can contact us and we will train them how to do it. But we don't recommend people self-treat if they have a, a serious or ongoing problem. You know, if you have a, you caught, the, a, caught a common cold and you want to use some biocide and throat spray, fine, it's great. I love using it for winter wellness. But, you know, if you were a person who had a chronic lung issue, I would want you to see a doctor and talk, to, talk about how we could apply this more effectively in your case. So let me ask you some more questions because I know uh, everything you said is very stimulating, but I, as a physician and having heard these things in the office for a long period of time, we're talking about candida, which is a fungus that can occur vaginally. So then a person said, well, use Diflucan because that's better for vaginal candida. But then there's a whole thing of the bowel. And what happens is you can actually see how the bowel is affected by actually doing blood studies that tell you very specifically that candida is alive and well in the body, even though you don't have, for example, a vaginal infection. So you can have... Right. Go ahead, please. Yeah, well, well, candida is a normal part of your intestinal microbiota and milieu at a low level, but when it gets out of balance and overgrows or turns into the more um, uh, damaging f fungal form versus the yeast form where it has the little hyphae that can actually penetrate the tissue. So you could actually get penetration of the tissues of your gut. Um, you can have this biofilm set up. I actually have a picture on one of my slides of an endoscopic exam of somebody with such bad candida in their gut. You can't even imagine how they could absorb any nutrient from food, let alone make the neurotransmitters that 80% of which are made in your gut. So if you're looking at the smoking gun between gut health and mood disorders and brain health, you have it there. And, and even Scientific American published a brilliant article about this fact and showed the research where scientists took germ-free mice, like these mice have had have a sterile intestine, so they have no microbiota whatsoever, good or bad. And then they measure, for example, the stress hormones from these mice. They're way higher than normal mice that have a normal flora. Then they give those stressed out mice something like bifidus, and lo and behold, their stress levels all came down. And so that's just one small test, but there have been countless tests like this that show the relationship between the gut and the brain. I mean, of course, candida pr produces a byproduct called acetaldehyde, right? Mm -hmm. And acetaldehyde causes the uh, lack of absorption of oxygen into the red blood cells. So when people with candida talk about being foggy-headed and tired, well, yeah, their oxygen uh, is depleted from the acetaldehyde. And not only that, but once you get this, this gut barrier disturbance where you have uh, candida or toxins entering your bloodstream, those can go to the brain and cause inflammation anywhere, including the brain. So, you, you know, you can see pictures that I've got in some of my slides of the brain of an Alzheimer's patient that's been exposed to the biofilm causing bacteria with mm -hmm. lipopolysaccharide, LPS. So there's this connection between the gut, its health, and the brain. And 100 years ago, according to the Scientific American article, 
it was common for people as a therapy to give people colonics and special diets when they had mood disorders. But then that fell out of favor, you know, and got sort of forgotten about in the more pharmaceutical-based, you know, application of psychotherapy. But if, if you go back in time, you understand that if 80% of our neurotransmitters are produced in the gut and that the gut has the ability to affect stress levels and anxiety, it, there you have it. So you've got to keep the gut cleaned up, which means a balanced diet, which means getting rid of any unfavorable organisms. And you can do that with using something like biocide, and you can do that with drug therapies. It's your choice. But you have to get rid of the bad guys and repopulate the good ones and then follow the balance of your gut through doing the testing, um, as you said, Chuck. So if you don't have if you don't have that before and after test, how do you know you got better? Which is another good reason to see a doctor about this, so that you can actually accurately follow your your situation. Have a before and after. Now let me ask you this question, because now we're in a you training me a little bit about this. So one of the things that occurred to me while we were talking about UTIs, which I don't know, is uh, something that's absolutely related would be uh, interstitial cystitis right so interstitial cystitis by so many individuals is like this is not curable because it just doesn't respond to right antibiotic therapy and the person has pain go ahead you go ahead and talk about it there well just one case comes to mind about um, interstitial cystitis so this is a woman who wrote us a letter and she said I just want you to know you guys saved my life she said I was at the Mayo Clinic for years they could not do anything for me. I had such unbelievable interstitial cystitis pain. I was on morphine. I couldn't work. My life was ruined. I had been basically sent home to just stay in bed on morphine and die. And she said, but a naturopath uh, friend of mine told me that I should try biocidin. And so she started taking it. And over a period of, I think she said, six to eight weeks, she started getting such improvement in the, in the pain that she was able to get off the morphine, first of all. And then after about three months, she was able to go back to work. And so she said that, you know, every six months or so, she'll do another cleanse and make sure that she doesn't get this problem coming back. Mm -hmm. But there was a great example of a person that, you know, modern Western medicine had given up on. They couldn't do anything for her. Mm -hmm. But yet the herbal medicine worked. So like I said, if you have, if you have plant-based medicines that are prescription strength, as it were, that they're made at the same standard with the, the manufacturing facilities, you know, that that do over-the-counter drug products, right? So these these products are very standardized, and that is what makes the difference between a professional herbal supplement like biocidin and something that's not. And you can always tell, by, by if you do your searching on Google, you'll find out. what Whether they're prepared correctly or not. Now, go ahead, you were going to say something. I, I interrupted. Well, I was going to say, you can find out by people's response, because, you know, if you look up... Um, <clears throat> Look, if you look up biocide, you'll find out, oh, they've done all this research at the University of Binghamton on biofilms. They've done research on Lyme disease. They've done research at the University of Louisiana on immune system activation. And so when most of the companies that are working with professionals as yourself, we're doing this research. And, you know, we don't have the deep pockets that drug companies do, but we certainly do our best to provide evidence-based medicine to holistic physicians mm -hmm. so that they are confident that what they're giving has been researched and and it is going to help you know you can't make a hundred percent claims about anything and you can't make any claims for nutritional supplements because they're not drugs they're supplements so we can't say this cures 
candida. What we can say is many, many, many doctors use it as part of a program as a nutritional supplement to help with these conditions. Well, I can certainly endorse the fact that it helps. Now, let me ask you a couple of other chronic conditions that we see that are challenging. Uh, we, we hit interstitial cystitis and candida. Uh, how about Lyme and Pandas? What's your well, uh, experience with those? Here's a, here's a good one. Yeah, pandas is, is, is one that, I don't know if people understand what that is. It's a, it's a type of um, strep infection. Yeah, it is a strep right? infection in the brain. In the brain. It's a pediatric disorder. We had one mother who let us know that her child had been kicked out of kindergarten for violent behavior. He had bitten her 45 times. She was at wit's end. Her doctor told her about biocidin, and she started using it, and she saw some improvement at the regular children's dosage. So she, she decided to up the dose herself gradually. So she ended up giving the, the child like two or three times the amount that we would normally start a child on. But the kid got better, stopped the violent behavior. And she said in her letter, and I'll never forget this, she said, I'd rather sell my body than ever be out of biocidin. <laughs> and we wrote back to her. We're like, we're sure that won't be necessary. We'll give you, we'll give you biocidin. She's got, um, she's got a sense of humor anyway. <laughs> she does, yeah. But um, anyway, so so with with regards to, to pandas, we have seen, you know, definitely that it has helped. Um and on the question of Lyme disease, so Lyme is very complicated because not only do you have the Borrelia spirochete, but nine times out of ten, you've got one or more than one co-infections that are an intracellular parasite like Babesia um, or some other type of problem. So, so it's a difficult situation. It's hard to diagnose. And um, But we did do a year-long study with the University of Uvascula in um Finland, and they are one of the premier Lyme research facilities in Europe, and they have all of the European strains of, of Borrelia as well as the U.S. Uh, North American strains. So we, we found in, in that study that the biocidin was very effective against the spirochetes as well as the biofilm forms and, and the, um, the intermediary stage, which is like a, a cyst or a round body, they call it, where the spirochete is like a, like a little corkscrew-looking thing, and then it curls up into a ball, and this persister form is what is very hard to treat because nothing kills that, and then they can hatch again into the regular form. So that's how Lyme becomes so chronic. Mm -hmm. So we found that the preliminary research we've done was that the herbs are really helpful um, on all of those different forms of Lyme, and some of the top Lyme doctors in the United States, like Dr. Richard Horowitz, he's been on the Today Show many times, yeah. um, and Ann Corson, um, Dr. Stephen Harris, there are many of the, Dr. Klinghart, and so forth, many of the doctors that that are working with Lyme are using the biocidin, and so I theorized that if the biocidin was helping, if we could get it into a liposomal form, where it would be able to penetrate intracellularly, then it could get into like some of those other issues. So we, we sent the biocidin off to uh, Quicksilver Scientific, and Dr. Chris Shade there, he was able to use his uh, liposome technology with the sunflower oil and making the, the nano size and, and, and basically encapsulate the biocidin into this liposome. And so then we started sending this for testing, and lo and behold, guess what? We research showed it definitely, uh, using a, a, a popoiodide marker in the lab, we could see that it actually was able to inter penetrate intracellularly. <clears throat> so we'd have to do a lot more clinical results, and it's hard to do clinical studies, but, but we've seen at least that the liposomal biocidin probably shows promise 
in, in, in working with people with Lyme. Take a moment right there because that word is not familiar to me and we definitely use it in our office. But tell people what liposomal is because they wouldn't get that. What's the difference between a liposomal, a spray, and a capsule? So a liposome is like a lipid, and it's like a little ball of lipid, and you've got the active ingredient inside. So drug therapies are are given through liposomes, whether they're oral liposomes or transdermally. So you could it could be a cream, a liposome could be a cream, it could be an oral uh, supplement such as we're using. So basically, you're just encapsulating the active ingredient in this nano-sized particle, which is like 50 to 100 nanometers in size so it's very small and that that's basically bypassing the digestive tract and absorbing more directly into the bloodstream and so it also because of the lipid layer it has an affinity to the lipid layer of cells so it, it sort of goes in there and, and that's why like for people with you know neurological and brain disorders they say you know you need to have these special high quality good oils like phosphatidylserine and so forth right mm-hmm. so it's the same thing so the the, the liposome lipid has an affil- it has an affinity for neurological tissue and cellular membranes and so you know since in Lyme disease oftentimes the spirochetes hide out in the um, spinal system and brain right Mm -hmm. i mean doctor uh i believe um one of the doctors had a slide i think i have it somewhere where he actually shows a scan of the brain and it shows the the biofilm and the those little granular cysts and spirochetes in the brain of an Mm -hmm. alzheimer's patient so Uh these these pathogens can go anywhere and it's hard to reach them so the liposome maybe has a better chance of of reaching the Mm -hmm. neurological compartment that is so, so interesting. Now, let's talk a little bit about it because some of the folks are practitioners here and they'd like, they're saying, and I know you're not giving any advice to anybody. We're not asking you to do that, but we're just talking a little bit about how a person would use it. So what are your criteria for using it with, for example, the more vulnerable population like children? What's, what, give us a little bit of an example of your company's experience with what people have said about using it with children. In general, the biocidin has been great for children, whether you're using the regular drops or the throat spray. Um, like if you have kids that you know, are exposed to a lot of people who are sick at school and bring things home and then everybody gets sick and everybody's missing work. It, it, it could be very protective to use something like the biocidin throat spray before they leave for school and when they get home. A lot of parents have told me that they've had good success with this. Um, with children who have gotten a little cough or cold and, you know, you really don't want to have to give them antibiotics because they're not that sick, but you're hoping to just support their system a little bit, then using a few biocidin drops. So we use one to two drop per 10 pounds of body weight. So, you know, a 50-pound kid might get five to 10 drops of biocidin a day split into divided doses. So you might give two or three drops in the morning and then after school and then at night a a, a couple of drops. Um, We haven't used the liposomal version on that many children yet that I have gotten feedback on. Mm-hmm. Um, and children seem to respond really well to the regular liquid biocide, maybe because children's systems are more sensitive. Mm-hmm. So they do, they do very well with that. You know, ch- we've had parents with, with kids with pinworms, with um, Giardia, you know, uh, parasites like that. Um, 
children with diaper rash and things which are uh, yeast related, candida related, right? Mm-hmm. And you can actually you can actually rub the biocidin topically on the skin on like a diaper rash on a baby, or you can put just one drop in the mouth of a baby with oral thrush. Mm-hmm. We had one doctor whose own baby was born with thrush, like one day old baby born with, with a thrush. Born with thrush, probably because the mom had such heavy candida. So the the idea was we're going to treat the mom so that she gets clear and that some of this comes through the breast milk. And then we're going to put a drop on the breast and let the baby get that directly in the mouth. And within one day, the baby's mouth cleared up. Is that so, right? Oh yeah, so God. it's it's very safe. It's very easy to use. The only thing that would really be a contraindication would be a specific allergy to an ingredient. So it's always very imperative if you have a child or if you have allergies yourself, look at the ingredient list. Make sure that you're okay with garlic or you're okay with golden seal or whatever's in there that some people could be sensitive to. So you want to take a look. People have asked me about the um, walnut leaf and hull. Now, if I had anaphylactic shock to walnuts, I would not take biocidin, okay? But the truth is, there's really, there's no nut in the biocidin. There's only the leaf and hull. So let's say you had a food allergies test that said you were sensitive to walnuts. Probably biocidin is fine because it's the leaf and the hull. It's not the nut protein. And, you know, if you're not a person who's going to have an anaphylactic reaction, if you're wrong, it's probably, you know, fine, but, you know, always err on the side of caution. Anytime you have a strange reaction to taking anything, a supplement or a drug or any kind of thing, if you if you get swelling in your mouth or if you get burning or you get anything that doesn't feel right, stop immediately. Call your doctor. You know, discontinue. You can always use activated charcoal to absorb um, anything that you've taken that may be bad for you. We make a product called GI Detox that is designed to absorb toxins from the gut. So if you've had a bad reaction, you can take GI Detox and it'll, it'll help stop it. Yeah, GI Detox. G, GI Detox works very, very well. Listen, we're running out of time. I want you to hit one more thing and then we'll okay. ask you for how people can, can contact you. But the one more thing, uh, we're, one of the things we do here at Core Brain Journal is really introduce a new vocabulary. You know, we're talking about some things, and that's why I stopped you a couple times we're going along, because we want to say, okay, interstitial cystitis, you know, candida, what are these things? So let's talk a little bit before we wind up about Herxheimer's, what a Herxheimer reaction is and how you might differentiate an allergic reaction to biocidin from a Herxheimer reaction so a person would know what those things are. Right. Well, you always want to be cautious if you have any kind of reaction. Typically, when you are killing off some bad boys in your gut, like those candida, you're getting this this die-off reaction, which could include dizziness, diarrhea. You could have rashing as things kind of come to the surface and leave. Some of those symptoms could look like an allergic reaction. So it could be hard for you to know. The I guess... The, the thing that most people can understand is that if they've had an allergic reaction before to something, they know what that feels like. But when you're having a die-off or Herxheimer's reaction, you know, you feel tired. You feel kind of toxic. You feel like your body has an extra burden. And mm-hmm. how we work with that is with, that we always err on the side of caution. The first time you take and you take one drop. If you're a sensitive person, you take one drop in a glass of water and you sip the water one time. See how you react. 
you know, the, the girl who did that movie under uh, my skin about uh, Lyme disease, she came up to us at a conference and she took a, a spray of the throat spray and she started having a Herx reaction. She goes, wow, nothing has given me a Herx in a long time. This stuff really must be working. And so people who are sensitive or who have been really sick will notice a reaction. And so that's why you just start really slow. This is not like a tincture from the health food store that you take a dropper full. This yeah. is one drop the first time and and then you gradually increase to about 15 drops a day for a typical person um, and that's why I think it's better for people to have a practitioner overseeing their program to have other supportive formulas and to follow patients lab tests to make sure that everything is going um, you know in the best possible uh, direction for their outcome. Dr. Rachel Fresco this has been fantastic we really appreciate it I mean you know it's great to have an expert who's been down this path and yeah this may sound a little odd to some people but what you're talking about is entering the mainstream I'm telling you that because you go to meetings people are talking about these things uh, I was at a big meeting in DC with the Great Plains people and of course Great Plains are noteworthy because they're bringing up Candida and all their IgG testing it's it's routine to do candida testing for uh, when they're doing IgG testing. Uh, and, and they're strong on it. And they brought up, and there were a lot of traditional docs in there saying, how can I do this better for my patients? What else can I learn that might be helpful when I've hit the wall and I don't know what to do anymore? So thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on board. We really appreciate it. Now tell us where people can, and you have some videos over there too that are important at your, at your website, as I recall. Well, right now, all of our um, clinical information is for practitioners only. Okay. So if you're a licensed healthcare practitioner, you contact our office and we set you up. We give you personal training. We go through a lot of these presentations that we've done at medical conferences with you and answer your questions and help you with specific patient cases that you have questions about. Okay. If you're a person who does not have a, a, a license and is like you said, a lot of your listeners are very knowledgeable. They've done a lot of research. You're welcome to try Biocidin. You can order it from our website at biocidin.com. Just follow the instructions. And if you run into any problems, we can refer you to someone. We have one doctor. She's so sweet. She only charges $15 for a quick 10-minute I'll help you with your protocol on biocidin, you know, or I'll answer your questions. So we have we have uh, practitioners that'll help. We have doctors in every state and internationally, so we can refer you to a doctor close to you if you're looking for support. And uh, so, you know, we welcome people to to explore and be self-responsible for their health, and and just know when it's important to get assistance. What an important dimension for you to add for our audience who are really troubled by chronic illness and treatment failure. This is this is a very, very important meeting, and I, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on board and talking about it so thoroughly. We really, really enjoyed talking to you. It's been fun. Thank you, Chuck. It's really been a pleasure to be here. We're going to have you back, Rachel, because i got some other questions to ask you at another time. So listen, you have a good time this evening, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to Cobrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive, misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications 
like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.